once you are in that state, anything anybody else does to try to get you out of it is probably just going to make it worse. Oh, it's, it's gasoline. Never, yeah. never in the history of mankind has telling someone to calm down, calm down. led them to calm down. Hi, right, friends. Craig here. Now, normally, um, when I do an expert roundtable, that expert roundtable will have some of the top minds about the subject sitting around and we'll discuss whatever it is. Um, this is different. What I did is I looked out into my audience for people who are similar to me. They love tabletop gaming. They love Malifaux. But they struggle to win on a consistent basis. And I thought it would be interesting to have us sit down and talk about the struggles, talk about why we lose. And uh, it turned out to be a really interesting episode. And I think that even if you're somebody who struggles to win at the game or somebody who's a top player, I think you're going to find some interesting things said, um, things you relate to, things maybe that you've always thought but never heard verbalized. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about why we lose. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Regular listeners to the podcast know I search the world for expert guests. Whether I'm looking for a player who has proven themselves, uh, maybe for an episode about strategy or tactics or maybe a deep dive, or I'm looking for somebody who's an expert in the field or a designer for that insider insights, that's generally speaking what you can expect from Tabletop Talk. What we've got today is a little different. What I've done today is I've gotten together three players, three friends of mine who are very similar to me. So they love tabletop gaming. They love playing minis. They love playing board games in a lot of cases. Uh, they love Malifaux. I know all three of them through Malifaux. But like me, they struggle. Does not mean that they don't win. I win sometimes. I Heck, I had a hell of a run at Nova back uh, a year, you know, over a year ago. Um, then. You know, you saw me play one of the worst games I've ever played on live stream, um, where I just handed a game over to one of the guests here. Um, and the three other people that are um, that are here today are, are similar, right? So they love the game. They have times when they win, but they struggle. Um, and what I was hoping to do today is really kind of talk with these guys and have the four of us really kind of talk through where we struggle, um, where we still struggle, uh, where we have overcome things and gotten better. Uh, and, um, you know, more importantly than anything is why do we still play? So what is it that keeps us coming back for more? So my first guest is Nick Westbrook. Now, he's a good friend of mine and a generous, generous patron of Third Floor Wars. He plays out of the Texas meta and was a player on one of our recent Star Wars RPG actual play episodes. So, Nick, welcome back to the third floor. Craig, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and not a reference in your bloopers. So I'm excited. 
<laughs> well, it's nice to have somebody on the Texas meta that's not going to come in here and claim that uh, their uh, none of their models ever die and they score eight points. So that's uh, that's refreshing. <laughs> um, so Nick, uh, you know, I, part of this answer I know because you and I have been doing some gaming together during all of this. But outside of uh, mini gaming, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? Man, you know, I've uh, been doing a lot of tabletop simulator with some uh, uh, friends of ours, kind of keeping. Uh, me and my wife and a, and a couple friend of ours uh, entertained once or twice a week, um, and uh, really just spending a lot of times with a lot of time with the kids, um, which oh, is great awesome. because one of your episodes uh, about gaming with with children and families has really helped me uh, involve my my two children uh, into games and uh, you know getting prepared for a Star Wars campaign with my with my family myself. So taking what, what we learned from our, our sessions and, and just diving in and, and uh, showing that to, to my family. So it's a, it's a good thing. That's cool. My daughter is a uh, six years old and I just bought, I haven't gotten it yet in the mail that uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's called like, there is no evil or something like that. And basically it is a role. It's an introductory role-playing game, like meant for kids, you know, eight years and under and built so even you know a kid who's seven or eight years old can run it um and i and i watched some videos on it and read about it and uh talked to my wife and she said yeah i'll play um so i'm really looking forward to it i've got a sneaking suspicion my daughter's gonna love it you know it you can make it whatever with unicorns and pets and stuff like that um so i'll be interested but uh it makes me happy nick that you you're able to do that with the crew on tabletop simulator what games you guys playing with with your friends uh we've been playing a lot of arkham Oh my nice. gosh, Arkham is huge with my little group. Um, uh, believe it or not, our my little board game group uh, kind of created our own uh, Malifaux meta in South Houston. Um, one guy came to the board game night with a, a picture of Teddy and, and and a Dreamer crew, and and we just all fell over uh, fell over all the pictures that we saw, and we bought a starter kit, and we had six people hammering over one table just trying to learn these rules and. Every one of us picked a different faction, and as as you, everybody knows here, you buy the entire freaking faction. Sure, being a completionist, um, and uh, we just all went nuts with, over this game. And that's great. Uh, so we I play a lot of Vassal, a lot of Vassal. Yeah, I know games. you do. So, I see you on there looking for games all the time. Well, that's cool. So my next guest is Brian Schoner. He was a guest for episode thirty-two way back when, where we talked about growth leagues. He's uh, a henchman down in the Atlanta meta. Um, I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. It's a good one, uh, especially when we start playing in person again. Uh, growth leagues are kind of a good way to kind of get things kickstarted. So, Brian, welcome back to the third floor. Thanks, Craig. I'm glad you finally have another episode that I qualify for. <laughs> well, I am a big fan of your podcast. And one of the things that I love listening to on your podcast is keeping up on board games, which I just don't have time to play nearly as much. So I'd be very curious to know what you consider maybe the top two board games that you're loving right now. Oh, gosh. Um, we haven't been doing as much board gaming outside the stuff we're talking about for the show lately, um, just because our schedules have been a little harder to coordinate. Um, but as far as recent stuff that's come out that I'm really into, um, not that recent, but one that I really like from the past 12 months is called The King's Dilemma. It's sort of a it, it's a relatively simple mechanical game, but you get to role play a lot of really sort of dastardly noble houses plotting <laughs> and scheming. And it, it tells some really interesting stories. Um, you know, and mostly uh, I'm kind of waiting for the upcoming Kickstarter harvest season to come in. 
Yeah, because uh, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of items on deck that I'm really excited uh, to see coming in. Very cool. Very, very cool. So my last guest, which uh, at the last minute, I almost kicked him out of here. You guys all know him as the man who took me down on the live stream. It is Jim Ortiz. Now, uh, Jim and I have been friends. Jim, we've got to be coming on, I don't know, five years, six years. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we met through Malifaux. Jim is based here out of the Raleigh area. Um, Jim has been um, and continues to be one of my favorite opponents. Um, Jim and I always end up having a good game. Um, sometimes I win. Sometimes Jim wins. Um, I don't know if in memory, Jim, where we've ever had a really one-sided game. Uh, I always remember at least at least being close going into the last two turns. Um, and, of course, it was quite a uh, exciting <laughs> last turn, last flip for us <laughs> on the live stream. Um, but, uh, it's good to have you actually on the podcast, Jim. So, uh, welcome back to the third floor. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Um, so Jim, how about you, man? What have you been doing other than, um, beating my ass at, um, Alpha? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I've been playing a bit of World of Warcraft. Um, uh, Vassal is not a thing that I'm real comfortable with. Um, and I have listened to your episode on it and it, it's just, it's not for me. Um, uh, I've looked into tabletop sim uh, and I struggle a bit with some of the, the uh, physics in those for dice rolling and some of the other things. So uh, playing playing tabletop games online just doesn't seem like a thing that I'm super interested in. So I've uh, I've been sort of out of the tabletop space and into more uh, online video gaming. Yeah. Now you and your wife is a big board gamer, just like you are. Have you guys been playing at all or are you just pretty much everything uh, on hold? We, we actually, we, we've been doing a lot of, she, she plays WoW as well. And we've been doing a lot of that. Nice. We haven't uh, put as many tabletop games or board games on the table as we probably should. Well, and Jim is also one of the regulars for my camping with gamers. So Jim and I, while we're waiting for everybody to come on, we're talking about uh, how excited we are to be uh, going camping again for our fall trip uh, coming up here. So, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. And um, what we've done is we've broken this down into several different segments. The first place I want first thing I want to talk to these gentlemen about is um you know, different areas where we struggle. And one of the places where I struggle, and I'm interested to know if these guys struggle as well, is before any mini hits the table. So I want to talk about struggling pregame before the game even starts. So we'll be right back. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So there's if you watch the live stream where I play Jim, um, you know, it comes down to a very exciting last flip. And I think that if you didn't know any better, it would seem that I just got unlucky at the end. But the reality is, is I can go back and I might do that at some point um, and I can show you all the different times where I made poor choices, suboptimal choices that culminated in me losing the game at the very end. 
And it, one of the phases where I struggle, Brian, is I, I struggle before the game even starts. Um, so let's talk in the context of Malifaux, but we don't have to limit ourselves to, to Malifaux. Let's start off with crew selection. Um, Brian, is that something that you feel like you've got a good handle on, or do you feel like you you tend to make mistakes at, at the crew selection um, time? Well, I'm I'm sure it's one of the places I make mistakes. I think it's one of the years I've actually gotten better in. Uh, when I first got into Malifaux in second edition, um, like we were talking about during the break, I decided I was going to play 10 Thunders and basically bought the entire faction. And I had all these cool models and I wanted to play with them all. So I was playing a different master every week. And as a result, I didn't really know what I was doing. With yeah. Any of so I sort of recommitted when I started on third edition. And I'm going to pick, you know, one or two masters, really focus on playing them consistently and learn them better. And it's helped a lot. Um, you know, so I feel like my master selection has gotten a lot better. Crew selection, I still have a tendency to get too clever. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes I just, you know, I, I pick, well, I need this guy to do some scheme marker placement and this to do some anti-scheming and this to do some healing. And then I've got five soul stones. And it's like, well, I don't actually have any beaters. So that's the thing I'm trying to focus on right now is making sure I can handle all of the the basic necessities before I start doing some clever bits. Yeah, that happens to me too, Brian, where, where, where my theory foe brain comes in and like I got this all planned out and I get this Rube Goldberg machine going where I'm going to have Sun Quang do this and then I'm going to have this guy do this and they're all going to be there and I'm going to flip red jokers and boom, I'm going to win the game. Um, yeah, no, I have, a, I have a great plan for when the opponent doesn't do anything during exactly. their turns. Yep, flawless. Yep, yep. As opposed to I'm starting to try realize that that, um, you know, thinking in lanes, right? And to your point, you know, saying, hey, here's my beater lane, right? And do I need two or one or two beaters based off of, you know, who I'm up against and things like that and kind of learning roles as opposed to very specific tactics. Uh, so I completely understand that. How about you, Nick? Do you struggle at all with uh, crew selection? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, being a 10 Thunders player, uh, so many of the masters are very forgiving with a versatile pool uh, as great as we have. Um, and so it's uh, it's it hasn't been as tough on me as uh, uh, prior when I was in Guild, but in Tui, you ran I ran Guild, uh, and, and there was one Nelly list that had a couple little flex spots, and they were Mercs, and yep. and all I had to do is listen to the recent uh, Max Value podcast and go, okay, I like that idea, you know, a four AP Bishop, great, let's bring him in, and and yep. that's what it was in th- in uh, third edition. Um, everything's viable. Everything has play and you're, you're looking to more uh, gear your, your master and crew selection towards the scheme and strats better. Um, And then also trying to counter or at least throw some tech picks um, uh, against your, your opponent and what information you have about your opponent. And that's the struggle I have is, is kind of bringing it all together. Um, I do definitely focus on those little combo wombos where it takes nine different activations and, and seven cards to, to make happen. And all of a sudden you got this uh, irreplaceable model on the table, but it's not feasible. It's not doable, um, especially in our meta where everything's so aggressive and you're getting beat on turn one. Yeah. And so you're in defense mode right out the gate. So. One thing I was going to mention when you were talking about getting the the tech picks against your opponent's master, that's one place where I tend to fall into traps because 
I don't get as many games in as I'd like, especially now with the COVID situation. So I don't know a lot of the opposing masters very well. Now I listen to a lot of, you know, very useful podcasts, like say third floor wars. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I have sort of a sheet of, of crib notes, like, or if I'm going against Rasputina, I have these things to worry about. If I'm going against the Vix, I need these things to worry about. But because I don't play them that often, I tend to look at that list and then swing way too heavily towards those particular tech picks right. where I maybe need one if any of them. Yep. Yep. No. How about you, Jim? If you, when you finish a game that you've lost um, or that you struggled in, how often do you go back and go, you know what? I, I really kind of screwed myself from the beginning, either based off of the the keyword I chose or, you know, I, I really thought that these two models were the way to go and they didn't do Jack for me. Um, how, how often is this the culprit? So I think, uh, what I find interesting about your statement is the thing that I think makes me a bad player or or gives me a struggle with this is that I don't actually spend as much time as I probably should after that game coming back through all of those particular moves and going, you know, that that model that I put 10 stones into really didn't get me 10 stones of work uh, as opposed to, well, that was fun. I moved some models around and I flipped some cards and that was that was a good time. And so so I think. uh Basically, just listening to you at this point is like, oh, that's a thing that I could definitely start doing to get yeah. to improve my gameplay overall is just to reevaluate at the end of a game. Did this was this model useful for me? Well, and let's be honest, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we're living the four of us are living proof of this. Uh, you don't have to win every game of Malifaux to have fun playing Malifaux. Um, I would venture to guess when we get to the part of this podcast where we talk about what do we love and why do we come back? What Jim just said, I bet is going to be a theme. We love hanging out with friends. We love taking little toy soldiers and pushing them around and flipping cards. And, you know, um, that's a big part of it. So by no means, Jim, is this like, you know, you got homework now, right? You need to go back and watch our five hour live stream and, and, and deconstruct <laughs> and, and I definitely, it. I definitely plan to watch it, but, uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, one of, one of my notes about crew selection and being, you know, having struggles there is that there's a lot of cards for me yeah. and a lot of cards for my opponent and, and reading cards is, is not really the way I learn things. Mm-hmm. So, so I definitely struggle. I can, I can literally when, you know, we'll, we'll get to the table and, We'll exchange cards and I flip through and I read them, you know, I try to skim, but, you know, immediately when I hand them back, I'm like, I don't, I don't really remember that that way. That's not. I don't ever do that, Jim. I don't ever, I used to, right. I used to say, can I see your cards? I don't do that anymore. Now in game. And I did it to you a couple of times in our game. I'll say, can I see the Seamus card? Sure. You know, um, but, but part of that though is, you know, I have gathered because of this, um, silly podcast a pretty decent meta knowledge right i've either done a deep dive on on every keyword out there or i've you know talked for five hours about every keyword out there so you know when i went up when i go up against somebody now i have a decent idea of what i'm dealing with and i just need specifics which is a huge advantage but even if when explorers come out when i go up against my first explorer crew i'm going to go well you know what what's their shtick right like what's the kind of their deal um, and I would hope that whoever I'm playing can, you know, within a paragraph, tell me what their deal is. And then, um, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, cause Jim, I'm the same way. I can't, I can't read a card and digest it and make it usable information for, for a live game. Mm-hmm. Um, I can barely write my name, let alone, uh, take in information <laughs> like that. So Jim, t- talking about the next phase, right? So this is one of the many places where I felt I lost the game with you is how, 
How often do you think your scheme selection is subpar? Uh, for for schemes, I think uh, part of my issue there is that uh, sometimes, again, it comes back to lack of knowledge of the opponent's crews and what they can do. So sometimes I'll sort of bottleneck myself into, I'm going to take these two schemes before I even know what they're going to do. Yeah. And sometimes uh, I've actually, I've, I've talked to Ray about this back in, back in second, and it was a recurring theme. He says, you have to have at least three. Yeah. And then when you know what your opponent's going to do or what's going to bring, then you can narrow it down to two. And, and I think that one of the things there, there are, there are certain schemes that will require you to choose an opponent's model, choose an opponent's enforcer to make sure that they are above half wounds or whatever it happens to be right at the time. And, and those, those for me, I really struggle with and it'll, or it'll be something like choose a minion. And it's like, well, there's two of those. How am I going to remember which one I said it was yep. versus him saying, well, that's, you know, the blue one versus the red one or so on and so forth. So uh, those are it's it's automatically sort of limiting my choice of five down to a choice of, say, four. Sure. And then I'm, I'm already starting off on the back foot. Uh, so that's definitely a place that uh, uh, could use work. Yeah. And how about you, Nick? Um, how many times do you when the game is over gone, man, if I just picked assassinate, I would have won this freaking game. Just about every one of them. Uh, <laughs> it's absurd, the, especially with Getting Grounds 1 with the um, uh, the difference between the first point and the second point um, uh, you know, on the scheme selection. Uh, it, it, and I'm not going to lie. I, I'm, I'm constantly forgetting who the hell I targeted uh, yeah. when it comes to like Vendetta. You know, I'll send Model A in, but I actually had it on Model B to Model C and, and declare it. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, no, never mind. Just kidding. Uh, and and trying to figure out a way of uh, reminding myself who who do I have it on, and so I, I tend to lean towards the easier schemes um, uh, to achieve, where I'm not having to run across the table and drop multiple markers uh, uh, and focus on something. I mean, I've got a Fuhatsu in my in my lineup. I, I'm going to pick Vendetta, right, uh, and, and and stay far back. Um, or a claim jump or a, or leave your mark. Those are ones I gravitate towards just because, especially in our, in our, in our meta, um, I'm going to get Nakima shoved down my throat round, round one. So I need to have something that I can kind of feed her off to the left so I can go to the right and score a placement, uh, a VP. Um, and then, uh, uh, trying to take that same mentality to Vassal where you've got players all across the world that don't play that way. And yeah. I'm, I'm prepping to the wrong crowd at that point. And so uh, I'm, I'm losing again because I'm, I'm prepped to be defense only and, and kind of sit there when I'm getting schemed all over the place and Colette's throwing me all over the board and dropping markers. And I have no idea what the hell's going on. So, so Nick, you kind of talked about two things there and I want to kind of clarify it a little bit. Maybe it falls into both, right? So you have a situation where I picked the wrong schemes or a situation where I may have picked the right schemes, but I'm not executing on scoring them well. Which of those things are the bigger challenge for you? Uh, executing the schemes you chose, or just you pick bad schemes? You know what? Now that, now that you put it that way, it's executing the schemes I've chosen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I get lost in the 900 other decisions in the game. Yep. Um, you know, trying to figure out what Black Blood's going to do to me as opposed to Hayridden and to the other models. And, what blasting does to them and whatever it is, I get lost in those uh, bubbles and those thought bubbles to where I forget about everything else around me. 
Yep. And I'm either in defense or offense mode, not scheme mode. Or what's points as prizes? That's what our UK friends say. Um, now, how about you, Brian? Um, when you go back and Monday morning quarterback a uh, a game where you struggled, um, is it scheme selection for you as well? That's certainly a big part of it. And, you know, like Jim mentioned, that's that's not something I do as often as I should. You know, I'll usually sit there a few minutes after the game and and look at, you know, think about a lot of times how I would have chosen my crew differently with hindsight being 2020. But, you know, I'm usually hot and tired and my brain's full. Yeah. But what I find about schemes, especially in gaining grounds one, where they tend to be a little bit more complicated in general, is I am less often choosing the schemes I want to take than eliminating the ones I don't want to take because it's really complicated or it's going to be hard against this particular crew or I didn't wind up hiring the people I would need to do that. So I guess it'll be, uh, you know, leave your mark in runic bindings, you know, not because I really went for that. So that's something I'm needing to. and, And again, almost everything I say is going to come back to I need to play more games just right. to get more familiar with and more used to how to execute these ones that seem excessively complicated, excessively difficult. Yeah. And it's amazing, isn't it, Brian? Because, you know, I remember when a new gaining grounds would come out in two and, it, you know, the first time you're like, wow, these are so complicated. These are so hard. This is so weird. Like, you know, uh, you know, supply wagon. What does this mean? What does that mean? It takes two games, it takes two or three games for you to kind of wrap your head around it. Um, on the live stream, when I played Jim, it was the first time I'd done um, uh, ley lines. And I had read ley lines a million times, understood it. You put it on the table. And I'm like, yeah, this is not what I thought it was. Exactly. This is this is different. Now I'm going to understand it much better. Right. So I will play it much differently. I get what the what it is. I thought it was one thing because it read that way. But once the models hit the table, I realized it's not exactly what I thought it was. Um, So that that tends to be one of the things. Now, Jim, after the cameras turned off um, uh, on our game, one of the things that you and I talked about is you, you felt you really struggled with your model placement at the beginning. Um, uh, I had practiced our deployment um, turn one. No, it's, huge, it's your attic. Yeah, <laughs> a huge advantage, right? With all of those advantages, I still lost. Um, it, it, but it's where the reason I practiced turn one and almost before almost every match is because that's where I screw up all the time. Um, and you mentioned that deployment kind of messed you up a little bit. Um, is that something that's common for you or is it just something that kind of happened to you on Sunday? Uh, I think uh, as I pick up, say, a new crew, um, I think the more the more the more reps I get in with the crew or uh, I guess a master in general, but uh, the uh, the less that becomes an issue. But definitely the first few games, it's it's an issue or when it's, you know, the first time I've used corner in a while or the first time I'll I play flank after, you know, uh, several games of standard or or, or um, what's the pyramid now? Wedge. Uh, Wedge. Uh, so so um, the first time I, I see a particular deployment or use a particular crew, it definitely can be an issue uh, with, you know, terrain bottlenecks or activation order uh, in, in our in our game. Uh, my my gravedigger was essentially hemmed in behind all the other models, but truly wanted to go first to give right. everybody fast and then get out of the way, but basically gave 
or uh, fast focused, but uh, gave everybody focus. And I was like, well, I guess I'm stuck here because yep. everybody's in my way. I can't get it. I can't get out. So I sort of ended up, you know, a half turn behind with that model. Yeah. And, and Brian, you know, there's there's kind of a couple different places where that happens. Right. So you can do and, and they feed off of each other. So there's there's placement. Right. So I, I put my models in the wrong place, which is a little bit what Jim was just talking about, where, you know, he, he should have left a gap for the grave digger and he didn't. Um, there's also mistakes in activation order. So it sounds like Jim got his activation order right. His placement was wrong. Um, I've struggled both ways, which is uh, I activate the wrong models uh, early on, which screws up my deployment. How about you? When you when you struggle there, um, what does that struggle tend to be? Well, I mean, my main problem from a deployment standpoint tends to be that I don't have as exact of a plan as I should. You know, got so it. I've got I've got Misaki here. She's going to be teleporting to one of these spaces and running around and picking off scheme runners. And I've got a Toto, and he's going to run up the middle and punch somebody in the face. And then I have a couple Torakage, for example, and they're going to run around and do scheme things. And that's right. that's about as detailed as it gets. So I, I one of the things I'm trying to do is, and not just during deployment, but during the game in general, I'm trying to slow myself down. Because I have this tendency to say, well, I don't want to take a really long time on this because it'll be annoying my opponent and the game will take forever. So sometimes I just uh, make a decision and go. And right. I'm really trying to get myself to the point where I'm willing to take the extra time to say, all right, so he's going to, he moves 12 inches a turn. If I go to here to here, I have to go around that thing to avoid the opponent. Then I can put a scheme marker here and another one there. And I'm, I'm really trying to, to plan those out in detail. Once I know what I'm doing, the actual placement and activation order tends to work out pretty well for me. Yeah, if you get if you're working backwards, right, Brian? So if you, you say this is the end state, this is where I, this is what it's going to look like when I'm done. Let, now let's walk this backwards. It looks like uh, what does it look like from the beginning? Um, how about you, Nick? Do you struggle with deployment at all? Oh, tremendously. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of the same way uh, as Brian is. Is I feel bad for my opponent. Because uh, I see my opponent just looking at me, going, "Come on, dude, let's get this going." And I'm thinking, and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm trying to mathematize this whole thing uh, on the table, and it just comes to a point where it's like, "Well, I know I need to do these three things. I don't know what happens on step four, five, and six. Screw it, throw it on the table." Um, yeah. I've gotten better as I make mistakes because I'm a glutton for punishment, and I learn the hard way. Um, but uh, uh, for the most part, I'm I'm kind of the same boat. I, I kind of know what might be the easiest path depending on terrain to kind of move a bubble up or to, you know, spread out if I need to, if they're independent operators. But um, I, I, I screw up consistently on deployment for sure. Yeah. And the one thing I'll throw out there uh, for those listening um, is uh, I highly recommend what I just talked about, which is if you get the opportunity, if you know what the crew is, if you have an idea what the deployment is, put, Put the models on the table and without an opponent around, without other models activating, just go through your first turn activations. Activate every model once and, and see how it works together. Um, then you avoid mistakes, you know, like having your grave digger not have enough room uh, because you make that when sure. you're sitting at your kitchen table as opposed to when you're, you know, broadcasting to 200 people live on a live stream. Um 
it um, it is something I've learned the hard way, um, and it's just a technique that's worked for me. Brian, you're going to say something? Well, yeah, I was just going to say Vassal is also a great tool for that. Whether or not you're willing to do a game or that kind of thing, it's very easy to say, all right, if I've got a wedge deployment here and I need to get to the center line, it'll take him one activation, then I'll be within three inches of X. Yeah, which gets to the working backwards thing that you were just talking about, Brian, which I completely understand. So, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. When we get back from the break, we're going to talk about um, struggles in games. So we talked about struggles that we have before the game even starts. Um, but uh, a lot of us uh, tend to struggle when the game is happening, which ultimately leads to us being short a point or two to a victory. Um, so let's talk about some in-game struggles. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So mistakes are made. Before we uh, models even hit the table and then more mistakes are made as models start getting pushed around. Um, I have a lot of different places where I struggle uh, during the game, Nick. Um, one of the places where I tend to struggle is something that you've already kind of alluded to, which is I lose track of how to score points. Um, I lose track of scoring points and I start doing stupid things. I take that back. It's not stupid, useless things, things that are not helping the cause, which I think at the time might matter later or um, isn't hurting anything, right? Me, me attacking this model doesn't hurt anything. Let's flip some cards. Not realizing that, you know, that, that that's taking up uh, resources and, and burning and spending resources. Um, you talked about it a little bit, Nick, but from a perspective of losing focusing, uh, losing your focus um, on scoring, which is all that really matters, but losing your focus in general, uh, how much of a struggle has that been for you? It's been a struggle. Um, the game is so complex and deep. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm playing checkers and everybody else is playing chess or 4D chess. And uh, I, I just, I struggle trying to keep on, on task on what I need to do to score those points, where these models need to be, where my lodestone needs to be at the end of the turn or um, reacting to the board state. Um, it, it's easy, like you, like we've mentioned in, the, in earlier, it's easy to assume everything's going in your way. You've got all, a handful of severes and there's no train on the board and there's no models in your way threatening you. And you just kind of move up the board and score points. But right. when you get uh, an opposing keyword on the other side of the table with unique abilities that could potentially take you off off your game and, and move you around out of position and you've got to react to those things. That's when I really start losing my focus on scoring because I'm just reacting to what my opponent's doing to me. 
Well, and that's going to lead me to my follow-up question for you, Nick, is what's distracting you? And, and it sounds like you struggle with something I struggle with, which is I, I, I become reactive, right? So uh, a classic, classic Craig move. I, my model is standing there who hasn't activated yet. Some beater comes in, beats the bejesus out of that model, and that model is down to one wound or maybe is a corpse marker now. What I, what I tend to do, and I've gotten better about this, but we'll talk about that later, but what I'll do is go, that's it. I'm going after that beater. That beater just beat up my model. And now I've got my beater here. And my beater's going to go up and beat it. That's my next activation, which is silly because now I'm beating up a model that's already activated, right? So it, it, whereas I've got potentially other places I should be looking, other locations where there's unactivated opponent models that are still going to impact what happens that turn. But no, I get so focused on that. Um, other places are, are flips. So for Jim, like, how have you ever had a flip throw you off and make you lose focus? Uh, you know, I, I feel like that's actually one of the things that I've gotten a lot better at uh, is that, you know, uh, I can't I can't help a flip. Right. Uh, uh, you know, when I flip that black joker uh, and a model doesn't die or, you know, no damage or, you know, I can't hit or whatever. Uh, that's not something I can do anything about. So I've yep. gotten a lot. A lot better about at least not completely losing it over that kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you find yourself um, losing focus while you're playing, though? Uh, where where I struggle in this sort of space is it'll be something like sending spending good money after bad. Yeah. Uh, it'll be, you know, where uh, I, I went to attack and it's like I have I have an AP for this. And I can spend an AP on it. And if it doesn't work, I got to do, I have, I have to use that other AP for something else. And I'll say, well, but it didn't work, but it could work on the next flip, right? right. If I fish for that next card, right? It'll be that sort of thing. Or um, something like I'll, I'll hold my mid of cards and I'll say, you know, I could cheat this, this 12 and I'll have forgotten that I, I really needed that 12 for the, you know, the flintlock shot that's coming up on my next activation. I really, really, really need that 12. Yep. And if I keep it here, it, it'll, you know, maybe put an extra wound on your model. But if I cheat it over there, it'll, it'll score me a point or prevent you from scoring a point, which yep. is much more important. And so it'll be, it's just that, that, that blip of distraction where it's like, if I could just spend, spend a little bad money after that good money, you know, or a little good money after that bad money, then I'll, I'll come out ahead. And that's, that's where that happens to me. It's so easy to do. So easy to you. How about you, Brian? When you find yourself losing focus, taking your eyes off the prize, where, where does that tend to happen? I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff that Jim and Nick pointed out. I actually literally have written in my notes, throwing good soul stones after bad, because it's it's exactly that concept. You know, well, I've got my beater up in there and he's getting hit pretty hard. So rather than just accepting that he's probably going to die in doing things that matter, I'm like, well, I need to activate him and he needs to heal. And then I need to bring this other guy over here and heal him and pull him out of combat. And and the problem I fundamentally have with Malifaux, one of the reasons I love Malifaux is because there's a hundred things going on that I give yep. There's there's, you know, 15 to 20 models out there that are all capable of doing different things. They all have different objectives. They all have different possibilities. And while there are those million possibilities, the problem is figuring out which ones are really important right mm -hmm. now. Um, and, you know, I, I have the same problem that I tend to uh, cheat on less important things earlier in the turn because I have the cards and that kind of thing. Yep. Um 
so yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of the same items we have, um, you know, same same issues that uh, Jim and Nick have talked about. I like your point, Brian, that it's part of the reason why we love the game too. Um, an analogy that I have come up with that I'm still playing around with, so it, it may not be one I keep, but I I was thinking about Guild Ball, right? Uh, Guild Ball recently was announced that it's dead, um, that they're ending Guild Ball. And um, one of the reasons they listed is something I've been saying about Guild Ball for a while. Um, it's something that I um, talked about why I stopped playing Guild Ball. In fact, I think, Jim, we didn't meet at Malifaux. We met playing Guild Ball, I think. Now that I'm sitting here saying this out I, loud. I want to say we met playing Malifaux, but uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Played some Guild Ball. That we both played Guild Ball. Yeah. Um, you know, the th- Guild Ball to me was chess, right? Um, and here's why. Uh, what was good about Guild Ball is it was clean. And chess is clean. Um, and um, if you were a competitive player, the better Guild Ball player always won. They always did. Um, and if someone, two experts could sit down, you could have Cody and Doug comment commenting on a doing commentary on a live stream of guild ball and you won't have this conversation where you know i think you know craig might craig might be okay that's i i think that's a decent decision and and then doug goes well i don't know cody i think this might be a better decision those conversations didn't happen in guild ball because there was a there was a right decision and a wrong decision it's the same way when you're talking about chess I always felt Malifaux was a little bit more like Go. Um, for those of you that are familiar with Go, um, which is my preferred game between the two. And what I like about Go is it is, I find, far more complicated, a lot less linear. And um, it's very rare that you have a Go conversation that goes, That's, that stone should have gone there that turn, and that was the only right play. Um, and it's, it's very, very different when you read books about strategy of go versus books of strategy about chess. Um, and I feel Malifaux is more on the go side where it is, it's more conceptual. It's less, this was the right decision here and there. I don't think anybody can go into the game except for the last flip (laughs) (laughs) with Jim and I and, and go, that was the moment Craig lost the game. Right. Because I think I think I could have two very good Malifaux players watch that entire matchup and they would disagree when I lost the game, which is part of what I love about Malifaux. But getting back this long tangent, so, and I apologize, but this long tangent was started by Brian. But that's that's what I like. Right. I like the fact that um, there is a myriad of options and not all of them are bad and there's one good. Um, but you have to you have to stay focused in that process. And if there's one single thing that has made me better (laughs) over the three years, four years I've been playing Malifaux, not as good as I'd like to be, it is my ability to stay more focused pre-game, during the game, when flips happen, so on and so forth. And that's really why I wanted to talk about focus um, so much. But Nick, there's other things um, that, that can cause us, you know, in game to really mess up. And, and one of those is not understanding what's happening on the other side of the table. So I'd be curious to know whether um, not knowing why opponents are making the moves that they're making or not knowing what their models do, how often is your inability to get the right information out of your opponent impact? Acting your wins and losses uh it uh it's it's definitely impactful i i struggle with knowing what other crews can do and 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 their uh kind of synergies that uh, work uh, amongst themselves uh um, it was said earlier that 
I have to experience it. I can't just read it on a card and yeah. uh, learn the hard way and just kind of go, oh, crap, okay, check mark. I'm, I'm going to put that as a bullet point in my head for next time I face this crew. And uh, it, it's just one of those things that, that that's just how I, how I learn uh, is, is more of a reactive as opposed to being proactive. Um, I do try to focus on certain key elements to try to, I'm not going to read everybody's card 100%. Uh, uh, every card, every ability. Uh, I learned the hard way, unfortunately, but I do try to get certain key in, uh, bits of information. I'll, I'll ask what you mentioned earlier. What's the shtick? What's the, what's this crew do? You know, uh, and I'm hoping for information like, Oh, we throw ice pillars and pull slow everywhere. Okay, great. I'll stay away from the ice pillars or uh, whatever it happens to be. I'll, I'll, I'll ask certain questions. I'll focus on threat ranges. Yep. Um, that's and a reflection can, of your meta, though, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that a mature can hit you from 22 inches away. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that, it, I, I kind of hyper-focus on certain key data points and work around that and let the aha moments and the surprises and the learning lessons happen naturally. Right. It makes it, I, I don't want to say, it just makes it more interesting for me because I'm learning something new every game yep. and it's more obvious. It's not crap. You know, I, I should have uh, cheated my eight of crows instead of my 12 of crows because of blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think that way. It's not me. I, uh, I, I, it, it, I find it more interesting that way, at least uh, for my play style. Uh, how about for you, Brian? How often, how often do you attribute some of your struggles with your ability to, gather information and process information real time on the table. I mean, gathering information tends to be difficult when I take the point to do it because, you know, Malifaux players are almost unanimously all gentlemen. You know, yep. if you want to see the card and figure out why are you placing that, they'll tell you. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, it's mostly, you know, if if there's a crew that, you know, on the first turn, they're doing a bunch of maneuvering around and pushing each other and drawing cards and giving each other focus and that kind of thing. Um, the main problem I have is figuring out, OK, which of those models is actually the most important part of that process that I have to worry about? Because I know if you're, you know, if you have an Ironsides crew, they're all going to be hanging out within a certain radius of each other. So they all give each other buffs. But if I know that, you know, Amin and I do is, is, you know, one of the crucial ones for what we're trying to do, that's where I have to focus my attention. Right. Right. So it's really just sort of picking apart that web of interactions. I don't need to know what every little thing is, but where's the linchpin? And that's the interesting bit. That's a great point, Brian. And you hear me talk about it on the pod all the time, which is which is threat assessments and be, being able to pick your targets and understand, um, you know, who are the threats. And the threats don't necessarily mean the beaters. Um, and your example is an example there where Amino is is the threat. And if you can take if you can break that link in the chain, your chances of beating Ironsides go way up. Um, and being able to assess that it can be critical. Jim, taking and processing information, assessing threats, um, how much does that uh, lead to you losing? <laughs> uh, so I have a note from earlier that is, uh, you know, Gaining Grounds versions are reset buttons. And M3 was a big, huge reset button. And yeah. I feel like in M2, uh, I was starting to get to the point where I began to, you know, see some of the things my opponent was doing and began to think about, okay, how can I, how can I stop them from getting you know, they're going to be on, you know, ley lines or whatever it happens to be. And I want to make sure that they, I can, I can deny. 
Uh, whereas now in what is GG1, uh, that's that's not really where my headspace is. I'm sure that it's it's absolutely impacting you know my game state, but it's not a it's not a thing that I'm as cognizant of because uh, right now the things I have to worry about are making sure I know the rules for my cards. I know, you know, how to get my model to the place I want my model to be and those sorts of things. So for me, uh, where I'm at at this point in what is GG1, uh, my knowing as much about my opponent is, is just not where I'm at. Yeah, you're in the phase, Jim, that I talk about all the time, which is uh, I'm still playing my crew. I'm not playing Malifaux yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still playing my crew because um, I don't think you can actually play Malifaux until you stop playing your crew which means you know what your crew does. Right. You're not picking up three cards before every activation. You're not trying to figure out what happens if I, you know, cheat in a crow. You, you know all this, um, which means it allows you to actually focus on the table itself. Um, probably one of the things that you hear talked about a lot, Brian, and I'd be curious to know because you are you and I have played um, against each other, um, and I consider you a pretty even-keeled guy. Um, uh do you find yourself going on what's called tilt? Do you find yourself um, basically uh, losing it? And, you know, you could have a series of bad flips or bad decisions or things go your way, or maybe you've sabotaged yourself and you now emotionally are out of the game and, and can't recover. Is that an issue for you? That has never really been a problem for me. Part of yeah. it is, you know, as I say, Malifaux players in general and the Atlanta meta in particular are just all super nice and chill people that are so easy to get along with, regardless of how it's going, that even when I'm getting my butt kicked, I'm generally having a good time. Right. Um, that said, you know, as you know, I've run enough events as a TO that I can see the effect that tilts have on people that are, I guess, you know, character wise, just more susceptible to it for whatever reason. And um, the problem with folks that have that issue, and I don't want to say it's a problem with them, but the problem for them is once you are in that state, anything anybody else does to try to get you out of it is probably just going to make it worse. Oh, it's, it's gasoline. Never, yeah. never <laughs> in the history of mankind has telling someone to calm down, calm down. led them to calm down. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's anybody who's married knows that. <laughs> no, it's very true. It's very true. It's it's a state to your point, Brian. It's a state that you can only take yourself out of. Nobody's mm -hmm. gonna, nobody's going to pull you out of it itself. Uh, Nick, have you ever lost your lost your cool plane? I haven't lost my cool. I've I've given up mentally off based off of poor decisions. That's I've a made. form of tilt. Yeah, I, I, I've given up mentally just based off of my own decisions that I've made on the table um, that if that was the turning point, at least in my mind of, yeah, I'm losing this game. I'm not even competing at this point. Yep. I've, uh, you know, you've, you've killed your uh, vendetta target round one. You go, what, what the heck was I thinking? Um, so just certain key moments like that, I will, I will kick myself. And if I was to analyze the, the choices I made, shortly thereafter those key moments when I give up or I, I make a, a bad decision that I know uh, uh, I do make poor decisions just to maybe give my opponents still some experience or try to minimize <laughs> BP dip. I, I don't know, yeah. not to be a sore loser um, or yeah. 
that's when I start drinking. So it is what it is. You know, it's funny, Nick, and I hadn't even thought about it until you brought it up. But, you know, we talk about, you know, Tilt being the, uh, you know, I'm so angry and I get thrown off my game and I'm making bad decisions after bad decisions. Um, But I have experienced exactly what you're talking about, which is the you have decided this game is over. It's turn two, right? You've decided because I lost Archie that this game is over. I am no longer competitive anymore. And guess what? You've lost the game, (laughs) right? You're guaranteed to have lost the game, even if your opponent picks up half their crew uh, next turn. Uh, You've still lost the game. Sorry, just one thing I wanted to throw in there is I I think I may have an advantage in that respect because while it was in M2E, I was one of those rare people that won a game after being tabled. So that that (laughs) has sort of ingrained in me that, you know, the... Never give up, never surrender. <laughs> That's funny. The unicorn game, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we always hear of legend. Um, so I, I talk about how Jim has always been one of my favorite people to play, um, play games with. Jim, Jim and I play board games. Uh, we play uh, Guild Ball. We played uh, Malifaux. And part of the reason is, is that uh, Jim has taught me how to be an even keel guy at the table. But what I don't know is what's going on in Jim's head. So I'd be curious to know, Jim, do you do you find yourself beating yourself in your head in the same way that Nick was talking about? Or do you go on tilt and maybe we don't see it? Uh, so I would say that uh, when I tilt, it'll be in a casual game and it'll be, you know, just something. It'll just a rant and I'll rant for, you know, a couple minutes about, you know, these models are stupid and they shouldn't be in the game. Right? This is just ridiculous. There's no reason for them to, you know, why are all their target numbers four? That's just dumb. Right. And right. And then I'll just move on. Um, I think uh, uh, Brian mentioned a uh, losing. I think it was Brian mentioned uh, losing a uh, uh, an assassinate target earlier, uh, a vendetta target early. And and I I specifically remember a game where where that happened to me, and it was like round one, and I had just started to kind of move him forward, and he was wiped off the board, and I was like, well, shoot, I'm I'm two points down now. Yeah what am I going to do? How can I make this close? <laughs> How can I, what can I do to recover from this? Uh, so, so I think the thing that gets me is towards late game. I think uh, early game, my, you know, my plan is still sort of formed. And I'm like, I got to score. I got to score those first points on those schemes. I got to score, you know, at least the first two on the strat. And then as it starts to get harder, right. And especially in, in the new M3 gaining grounds, all of the, uh, all of the strats are, they get progressively harder yep. to, to score those points exponentially. Mm-hmm. And, and so at, at turn one, you're like, Oh, that was an easy one. I'm, it's a gimme, right? It's always the gimme. And then you get yep. that turn two and you're like, that was a little bit harder, but he's not quite there to get in my way yet. And then on turn three, it's like, Oh man, now I got to get, I got to get my model over to his deployment while stopping him from killing a model in my deployment or something like yep. that. Um, so it's those later turns where it's like, I, when I start to not see, the thing that will get me a point, right? And I, or, or the thing that will stop him from getting a point. And that's where I start to get, I start to really struggle. And I get that, that state of analysis paralysis. And I go, okay, something on this board has to be useful. And I stop and I, I'm staring at the board. And that's, you know, when Ray will say, okay, Jim, you, you got to do something. You got to, you got to move a model, pick one and, activate and do a model. Yeah. You got to pick one and do it. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to pick one and do it. And I'm going to swing twice at the, you know, elemental flame or whatever right and it's like that yeah that wasn't it wasn't it didn't gain me points it didn't help me stop you from scoring points and that's 
That's the part where I struggle. And when it get, comes down to, I don't think I can score more points, then it starts to go, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Like yeah. killing that model doesn't, doesn't gain me a point. It doesn't lose you a point. So but there's no point. But it makes no you point. feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it, 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 I think it used to. <laughs> and and the you know the the more I learn about you know like you say you know points and prizes right and it's like if if it doesn't you know take having him pick up that model and score a point doesn't make me feel better <laughs> yeah well and here's another aspect and I'd be curious um and I'll probably start with you Nick um something that happens to me and this this specifically happened to me on my Sunday live stream with Jim is and I haven't come up with a word for it yet and I'll, and hopefully you guys are all going to nod as I start describing it is uh, procrastinating, right? Um, so here's what happened to me on Sunday. Oh my God, it's turn four. When did that happen? Right? Like, like, like it seems like two seconds ago it was turn two and I had the whole game to, you know, score my first point on this and get my second point set up for that. Now all of a sudden it is turn four and I've got eight activations left before the game is over. Um, so Nick, does that happen to you where like all of a sudden it's just like, what happened? Why did I, why did I, why did I spend so much time wasting turn two and turn three? And now I'm turn four and I'm behind and you know, I, I don't have any more throwaway activations. And if he kills a model, I'm done. Right. You know, turn four and turn five is where I score my points in my area because I'm just on defense mode, uh, or trying to, you're surviving. I'm surviving or I'm, trying to fight fire with fire, which doesn't work. Um, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. There's, there's times when it's like, Oh my God, this turn four. And I gotta, I gotta at least reveal two of these schemes and then I gotta do the final. There's no way I'm dropping six markers for right. Spread them out or, or, or whatever. And so I'm trying to grasp at straws, looking for opportunities to just score one, two or three points, whatever I can get. Um, but absolutely. Yeah. I, I find myself in that space, uh, fairly often. Do you find yourself running out of time, Brian? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I have a tendency to, um, you know, like I said, and part of it is because I don't necessarily have a firm plan for all of my models. So a lot of times some of those models are just like, all right, well, you go up the middle and be ready to fight, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the sort of thing where I've made a conscious effort recently to score as much as I can get the first points for my schemes on turn two, turn three, because if I don't, that's just not going to happen. Right. Because there are too many other things to worry about. And like you mentioned earlier with loss of focus, I get pulled mm -hmm. away. I'm getting engaged over here. And now I can't do any of the things I need to do before the end of the game. Jim, how do you pace yourself? How do you control time and, and, and take care of making sure that <laughs> turn four isn't uh, the turn four that I had where I was like, yeah, I've got eight activations to lay down 15 markers. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I had eight activations on turn four in that game. <laughs> <laughs> so it would, it, it would have been nice to look up at eight activations. <laughs> um, so I think uh, to Brian's point, I try to score early. Um, yeah. Uh, because I feel like one, it, it, it gets my stuff out of the way and then I can start to think about, well, how, how do I get the second point of, of leave your mark? Because frankly, when I'm starting the game, I think about the first point. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, that first point is relatively simple, right? Assuming that Craig didn't decide the middle of the board belonged to him. The, the first point <laughs> of leave your mark is a, re is a relatively simple one. 
the second one becomes, you know, a bit more cumbersome. And so if I'm spending, if I have to score, you know, my, that, that first point on turn four, then it's, I can't even get to that point to score that second yep. scheme point. Um, so scoring early is definitely a thing. I think, again, the, the big struggle I have with, with time management is just the, the amount of looking for the best thing to do. And, you know, you, you look at your, your six models on turn three and you're like, man, one of these, you know, everybody wants to go last, but somebody yep. has to go first. Yep. Uh, and, and I feel like in, in my list in, in, in our game, I had a lot of models that was like, boy, if they could go last, you know, I could flip that scheme marker that he placed into, into a, into a, into a corpse marker. And he'll be like, man, now I can't get my point. That's going to, that's going to stink. Uh, or, you know, if Seamus goes last, he can terrorize that model off that, off that ley line marker. And that'll be, yep. that's better because then he doesn't get, denies a point. And, and so everybody, all six models wanted to go last, but they can't go last. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I, so somebody has to go, but that model that goes is basically put in a vulnerable position. Well, which one is the least vulnerable and so on and so forth. And all of that, Jim, ties into something I preach, which is get your reps in, right? That's where you, that's where you have to get the games in. That's where you have to learn the games. And sometimes you might be in a situation, Jim, depending on this um, uh, game, is instead of two dead doxies, maybe two dead dandies are the way to go because of exactly what you're talking about. Have one go early and leave the other one late. Or sure. maybe you, you know, yeah, everybody who plays Seamus wants to activate Seamus last. That is always what For you sure. want to do. But sometimes that's not what you should do. That doesn't score you the points, even though in theory, uh, uh, a last uh, activation Seamus is, is the way to go. Um, so, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to take another break and we're going to talk about the sunnier side. Um, all of us on this podcast right now have been playing games for several years, have been playing Malifaux for at least two to three years and a lot of other games for longer. And I, we want to talk about a li- some of our victories. Well, I want to talk about some of the demons we have slain and how we have gotten better over time. Um, so we're going to talk about where we don't struggle as much as we used to. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Keith Suderman, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. You'll never mistake me for a competitive player, but I really enjoy the analysis and the advice I get from Tabletop Talk. You should be a patron, too. Head on over to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, or just click the link in the show notes below. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, need to give a quick shout out to our newest patrons, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, David, 
Anthony, Alexander, Michael, Bob Fletcher, Old Doc Fulton, and Joseph Pye. Because if you and the 100 plus other patrons, I'm able to put out consistent content that hopefully you find worth paying for. So it's time to talk about success stories. Now, I've got a sneaking suspicion that uh, there are people listening right now that have more than once gone, yeah, I do that too. Yeah, I do that too. Um, Because everybody has done the mistakes that the four of us have talked about here in the first, you know, several segments. What I want to talk about is things that we've conquered, um, things that we have beat, because even Cody has made every mistake that we've talked about. Even Jim Varney has made every mistake. Even Alex Drake has made every mistake that we've talked about. But in their own way, with their own methods, they've gotten better and they've overcome these things. And you know what? Even quote unquote scrubs like us have done that the same. So, Jim, I want to hear your success story. If we go back and look at Jim playing Malifaux two years ago versus Jim playing Malifaux now, what are things that you don't do anymore and how did you beat it? Uh, so I think uh, one of them for sure is completely forgetting that I'm playing a scheme game and going to kill models. Uh, I think that part of the reason is that I think that's one of the, my 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 big draws to Malifaux is that uh, there are so many goals within the game that aren't just about killing each other. Uh, so, but early, early in my Malifaux life, uh, killing models was, was fun and cool, right? You flip high <laughs> cards and, and tally marks and pick up models and that's fun. Uh, but uh, uh, the more, the more I play, the the more I want to remember, you know, I, I want to score points and I want to stop people from scoring points. So, uh, one of the things that Ray and I had talked about at some point back in 2E and, and I've tried to start doing again for 3 is keeping my selected schemes in my hand next to my fate deck yep. or my fate hand uh, so that every t- every turn, every activation, uh, when I when I look at my hand, I, I look at my schemes and I go, oh yeah, I'm trying to do leave your mark. Oh yeah, but Craig's completely owned the center of the board. How am I going to do that? How do I get this point? Right. I need to think about it every every turn, every activation. I need to remember it. So that's definitely one for me. Yeah, that, that's been a standard Ray piece of advice here in the NC meta that that almost everybody in NC now does is we keep our we keep. If you look at my little I don't hold my control hand in my hand. I've got one of those uh, little stands where you slide your cards into it. But the uh, the far left of it are my strat and my two schemes. And then my control hand. So when I look left to right, the first thing I look at is my strat. Then I look at my two schemes. Then I can see my control hand. And if you play Malifaux, how many times in a turn do you look at your control hand? You look at it all the time. Um, And for you, Jim, it was just a matter of a a couple little triggers, mental triggers to make you just to stay focused on that. Silly things like holding it in the hand. I think holding it in my hand definitely was, and it sounds silly, but you know, you, you have to look at it. And when you look at it, you go, Oh yeah, that's important to me. What else pushed you over that hump though? Uh, Again, I think uh, part of it is uh, the community, I think is, is a definite good one. You know, I, I play games with, with Sam and with Ray and uh, Kirby and all the guys. And, and they'd say, well, you know, at the end of a game, they'll go, you know, you, what did killing this model get you? Yep. You know, you, you, you killed Archie. Congratulations. What, what did it do for you? And I'm like, well, I felt better. I felt better because I killed Archie, right? Archie, you know, Archie pushed my model off the table and, you know, killed this other model that was going to do something. And 
I felt better. He says, but, but what did it do for you? Right. Yeah. And, and so that, that, uh, that we have a, a wonderful community that, you know, will take the time to say, you know, if you want to be better, we'll, we'll try to help you get better. It's definitely one of the things that helped me see that, you know, paying attention to those schemes is much more important than that. Well, Jimmy and I are lucky. We, we, we play in a meadow that is active, competent, competitive, and generous. Um, yes. And we're, we're very lucky to have all of those things. <laughs> um, it, um, you know, it, uh, when, when game nights were a thing, you remember that guys when like we had game nights, <laughs> um, when game nights were a thing, I mean, it, it would be disappointing to have six people show up. You know, it, 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 we we very active, um, and it um, outside of a few select, it, everybody was even keeled. Couldn't wait to play. You could have the best person in the meta playing the worst person in the meta. The two of them would have fun, and they would both come out better players because of the discussions and the level of generosity that was shared, um, which is something to foster in, in the communities that you have. Um, how about you, Brian? What is What dragon have you slain? Um, well, like I said, the, the big one, like I mentioned earlier, is that I'm able to... I, I've, I've been committed to playing one or two crews a lot, and like you mentioned earlier, Craig, that's a matter of learning not just how to play your crew or rather learning how to play your crew so that you can play the game. Yeah. So that's been a big one for me. Um, I've. So how, how did that work though, Brian? So, right. We can talk about that. You hear me say that over mm -hmm. and over again on the podcast, right? I can preach those words and you said those words. What, what clicked for you, right? So how did you, how did you push the cart over the, over the speed bump? Honestly, part of it is that I wanted to win more games. And, um, you know, uh, like like uh, Jim said earlier, uh, I think it was Jim, uh, M3E was a huge reset button for the game. Yep. And so it was something that's, okay, I already have all the crews, so it's not like I have to, you know, do the new shiny thing. I didn't change factions. Um, so I am just going to pick three masters that I think can cover all the basic stuff, and that's all I'm going to play. I yeah. mean, I did a couple games early on as I was figuring out who I wanted those three to be. But since then, I've been doing um, Misaki, Asami, Yanlo, and pretty much just Misaki and Asami for almost everything I play. Yeah. And uh, honestly, because I'm seeing the positive results of that, because I'm recognizing now I know what this stuff does, now I don't have to read Asami's card every turn to figure out how far away, you know, the summon thing can can charge as if it was your place instead of charge. Um, you know, I'm seeing the results, you know, and it's kind of like a, a diet or exercise plan, which is something I've never been good at, as you can tell, <laughs> at a webcam. Um, but, you know, it's like when you start seeing results, it teaches yeah. you, you're going in the right direction. Keep doing this thing. Mm -hmm. So Nick, what is, if you're going to go back and talk to Nick who just started playing Malifaux, what would you say? Hey buddy, you suck at this now, but you're going to end up beating it. What is that? Oh man, stay focused, which is we talked about earlier. I'm not good at, but um, uh, keep your eye on the prize. Um, I find myself continuously trying to improve. Uh, that's my nature. Looking forward, looking, making small goals and continuously uh, improving on everything I do. Um, part of that, uh, as everybody else has alluded to, um, being in a meta that's generous and, and welcoming and warm and uh, uh, just great people. Yeah. Malifaux people are the best in the industry, uh, in, in the space, um, in, in multiple spaces. Uh, the, the people have made it uh, uh, 
at least made it for me an easier transition coming from something I came from as a board gamer and tried Malifaux for the first time and uh, uh, came in right when uh, Wave 5 was in in 2E and started podium, podium or hitting podium uh, near the end of it. So I had a, yep. I was continuously improving. And part of that was a, a direct commitment to improve and engrossing myself in as much uh, content as I could. Um, I'm not big on, like I said, reading cards and it's repetition. So I'll listen to your deep dives over and over and over again. Um, and uh, just get some of these abilities and some of these things in my head to where I can have those aha moments on the table. Like, Oh, I remember, you know, uh, Steve mentioned that it did this and, and, uh, or, uh, uh, Jamie Varney mentioned that this guy did this and this and this, I'm going to make sure I watch out for that or, or tech against it just in case if it happens. So, so I'd be interested, Nick, uh, think of one thing though, like what is the one thing that really, um, you struggled with that, that you just don't find yourself struggling with as much anymore. Anymore. What's an aspect? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, anymore now is uh, understanding what other keywords do. And okay. I directly relate that to Vassal. Yeah. Uh, I know Vassal is not the same as tabletop gaming in person. Um, there's a, there's a, a disconnect, um, a certain level of disconnect that you have. But the Vassal community the is awesome. Is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. it's better than nothing. Absolutely. You get to try so many different things. You well, can get a game. If you can't sleep one night, you get to hang out with Jamie Varney in, in, in the UK because it's eight o'clock on a Saturday there. And yeah. it's, you know, uh, middle of the night in your time. You're, you're underselling, it, underselling it a little bit, Nick. And part of it, I think you're doing because you know that I don't play Vassal because I don't like Vassal. But here's the reality of Vassal. Peer pressure. Um, Peer pressure. I'm working on it. Right. One is, one is whether, whether I like it or not doesn't freaking matter, right? Vassal is awesome. And Vassal is awesome for several reasons. One, you have instead of the 10 guys that play and gals that play at the local store to play with, you have the entire world. Instead of Nick playing in the Texas meta every time, going up against Nekaba down his throat every time, he now knows how Poland plays. He now he now knows how Australia plays. He knows how the UK plays. Um, and, you know, Nick, you're getting in. You've got to be getting in six, five, six games a week. Absolutely. Um, yes, as, I as much as oh, I see you on there. And I mean, yeah. and you know, that's called getting in your reps. Mm -hmm. Um and it's called exposure. Right. And there's I've learned that each meta, and, and I think we all know this, but each meta has its own kind of uh uh strategy of of approaching the game and, and how they build crews and how they how they uh, uh tackle the strats and schemes. Um how it happens here in Texas is completely different than playing Dan or Reese over in the UK. Um, and one of my biggest things that I try to improve on, or, or one of the things that's helped me tremendously is I'll flat out say after the game, Hey, did you see anything I did that was screwed up or that I did wrong? Or, you know, uh, that you question why the hell is this guy doing it? Um, and, and let's chat. And yep. everybody's so welcoming in this community. So good it's, about it's it. amazing. You have to ask the question, though. I mean, uh, I, 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 my big jump in capabilities, like. So I got the reputation of being a terrible player via Travis Wayforth and Max Value. Right, right? That's where the uh, that's where the uh, Craig is bad at this game brand began. Uh, and it was well, well deserved. 
Um, and, uh, Part of the reason I'm better than that person that I talk about is because of Alex Schmidt, um, who is one of the guys that played locally here, who um, I would argue is one of the best people to ever play Malifaux. Um, He doesn't play anymore, unfortunately. Um, But uh, Alex was very generous with me um, and spent a lot of time saying, Craig, you know, let's play some games. And he would whoop my ass. And at the end of it, he would go, why are you doing this? And eventually what would end up happening is Alex and I played more is he would do it mid game. You know, I would start to activate a model. And he goes, why are you activating that model? And I'll explain it to him. And he goes, okay, well, what about this model? And, and slowly started to, to, to rewire my head a little bit. Um, and finding a mentor that way, um, for those of you listening, is, is really good. And Vassal is a great way to do it. Um, and doing exactly what Nick talked about, which is asking the questions at the end. So maybe you won't find that gr- a really good player that you can get 10 games in like I happened to and I was really lucky to do. But you can find, you know, a, a mentor, a new mentor every time you play. Um, and learn to ask the right questions and learn to, to be uh, putting it in there. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, the last thing I want to talk about uh, is a little bit of a love letter. I want to talk about uh, why we love tabletop gaming so much, whether it be board games, mini games, role playing games. Um, uh, you know, it's not because we like winning, <laughs> right? That's the whole theme like of this podcast for this, at least this episode. So, what is it? Um, really that we love about it and quite frankly considering you know that this is you know september 1st of 2020 what do we miss so we'll be right back Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and play mats. I spent a little time last segment talking about how awesome Vassal is, but people have also heard me talk about the fact that I don't like Vassal, and that's despite the best efforts of Nick. Um, Nick is a great ambassador for Vassal, um, and um, I've played Nick what, once or twice, I think, now on Vassal, and I just I, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, and part of the probably one of the biggest things I figured out about uh, the lockdown is it allowed me to solidify things that I love about tabletop gaming. And I think I underestimated how much my love of tabletop gaming came down to being in the same room with somebody and, and, and interacting in an analog way. So no technology in the same room and, and, putting mind against mind, either cooperatively or competitively, 
I always knew I'd like that about tabletop gaming, but I didn't realize that it was a keystone until this lockdown because I have tried to do to do tabletop gaming without one of those elements and it's fallen apart for me. The only place where it's kind of clicked is with role playing, but that's kind of a different animal. I think that's more I think it lends itself more to remote play and I think it's part of the reason that of the entire industry, the one that's booming right now is role playing. Um, you know, mini games are struggling and tabletop games are or, and board games are struggling. But role playing games right now, this could potentially could be the greatest thing that ever happened to role playing is, is this pandemic. So so, Nick, how about you? Like, go back and think about how you got drawn in. Um, I can see you on webcam. You've got board games, shelves of board games behind you. Um, you know, what what made you fall in love with tabletop gaming? And wh- what do you and maybe what do you miss a little bit right now? Gotcha. Well, first off, this is a Zoom background. It's not for real. Don't tell my wife. Um, <laughs> That's right. you, you haven't you haven't spent money on mini games and mm-hmm. board games in what ten years now? Ten I think years, we've got yeah. a nice streak going. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask about LVO. Holy crap! You serve alcohol <laughs> in the tournament area and have vendors. Yeah, thanks. Weird and battle foam. Um, you know, I love the camaraderie uh, uh, at the table. The people. The, the Malifaux community is fantastic. Um, you know, our, my little meta kind of created, was created off of a board game group that we knew each other and, and hung out once or twice a week already and then blossomed to learn all the other players here in the Houston area. Um, and then when this COVID thing happened, uh, branching out into Vassal, I kind of had the same reservations. I'm one of the types that does not play with a mic when I play, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm like Cody. I play uh, call of duty, uh, modern yeah. warfare Warzone, And I don't play with the mic because I have no interest in hanging out with 14 year olds that call me dirty racist names. I have no interest in that whatsoever, but the Malifaux community is amazing. And, and uh, if anyone is worried about, uh, online play in Malifaux and who they're going to talk to and, and the personalities uh, reach out to me. We'll, we'll, we'll have a chat. We'll play. I'll, I'll teach the game. It's fantastic. You have to give it a shot. Uh, 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 take a chance. It's an amazing experience to in this day and age where we don't get much experience uh, with other people. Uh, being able to say that I have friends now in the UK uh, uh, if and when we ever get a chance to uh, uh, do a UK national trip from America, if they ever allow us, depending on our situation, get our, get our, get our stuff together so we yeah, can actually yeah, go over uh, to another country. That'd be nice. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's just uh, it's it's an amazing opportunity and experience. The if you're serious about wanting to be better and compete, you got to try the metas. You got to try yeah. how other people play. Um, you know, John Fox ran me through, through what, what he does and, uh, and, and destroyed me. I've, I've played guys from Washington. I played guys from UK, Russia, Sweden, Australia, New Zealand. I, I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Um, it, it is amazing, Nick. And, it, and what I'll tell you, and I'm going to hammer on one point then we're going to talk to Brian a little bit, but the one point I'm going to hammer on, and this amazed me. So the, the, one of the many things that's been great about this podcast is I now have literally talked to people who play Malifaux all over the world. Um, and it's, a, it's incredible 
how the the one thing everybody says is how how nice their community is and how generous the community is. So for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is because I have been in the Guild Ball communities, I have been in Warhammer communities, I have you know been adjacent to many other mini games communities. Um, I have not seen anything close to it. The closest I've seen is Marvel Crisis Protocol, but I can't even tell you that that is true because it's it's really kind of the such a huge overlap between my uh, Malifaux <laughs> people, you know. So it's kind of like the same group. But yeah. uh, there's something unique about Malifaux, and I don't know what it is or why it attracts those people or it fosters those attitudes. Right. Um, but it's very, very true. Uh, so, Brian, not only do you play tabletop games, board games, um, I don't even know. Do you do you role play at all? Yep. And like you were saying, I'm role playing more now than I ever have. Yep. So RPGs and then mini games, you you create content. You have a fantastic podcast devoted to tabletop gaming. What is it that, that you love so much? You know, it's interesting because I am, I mean, probably my most defining personality trait is that I'm an introvert. I mean, I, I hate people. You guys are okay, but um, <laughs> I, you know, and, and of course that's not what I mean when I say I'm an introvert, but when I spend a lot of time interacting with people or extended people basis, extended period of time, I get drained. It's exhausting. Um, yep. So, you know, this is a way that a, it's something I can do sort of by myself, whether it be theory foeing or, you know, that kind of thing and, and still work, test my brain and that sort of thing. But it's also, I can interact with someone or multiple someone's be social, have a good time and know that there is a defined end point when I can say, all right, now I'm done. Now I can go home and decompress. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's a big thing for me because I do like interacting with people. I like telling stories. I like sharing, um, information about things that I like, which is why I got into the podcasting thing in the first place. Um, the thing that I think really drives me about Malifaux, and this is something I discovered uh, in the process of doing the board game podcast, is several of my favorite board games, um, like Macau and Innovation are two that come to mind, which won't mean anything unless you happen to have played either of those. But they're games where each turn you basically have a bunch of random variables and you are trying to optimize what you're doing within that limited right. decision space. And that is really at the heart of Malifaux, I think. Yep. Is that you, like there's like we talked about before, there's so many things going on and you just have to find out what is the best uh, course to take at this time. Um, I also did want to piggyback a little bit on what Nick was saying um, about the exposure to different metas being so good. Um, I haven't played nearly as much on Vassal as I'd like, um, but I have had the chance, you know, before the COVID lockdown, I've done a couple conventions in the UK. I've, I've done a lot of stuff around the country. And A, yes, everybody's super awesome consistently everywhere I go. But it's also that exposure to different styles of play is so important. Um, it occurred to me while we were talking about this, that um, probably the strongest player, certainly one of the strongest players in the Atlanta meta is John Colborn, who I know has yep. been up in your neck of the woods a few times. Um, and he is also the person that back when we did conventions was always going to a convention somewhere. And wandering those two River things style. are yep, <laughs> wandering river style. Exactly. And those two things, the exposure to different metas and the fact that he's a really good player are directly causally related. Oh, no question. No question. Yeah. No, John, John, part of the reason there's two reasons that John is, is a good player. One, he's smart as hell. Mm -hmm. um, and, and two, he's well-traveled. He's played everywhere. 
Um, and, and that makes a difference. No question. And he is, that's why he's always a contender, um, everywhere he plays. Um, and much like Texas, I wish John was a jerk because it would make it easier to hate him, but he, it turns out he's a pretty nice guy to boot. So, um, yeah. how about you, Jim? Um, you know, I, I, the things that Brian talked about, the things that Nick talked about, how much of that do you share? Um, is there, is there something that you, cause I know you work with technology like I do. Is there something about the analog aspect that you love? Well, what do you love about tabletop gaming? I think, uh, a lot of the points that all three of you brought up are really, are really the, the reasons that I, that I love these games. Uh, definitely, you know, getting away from, from the screens for a bit and it is good, uh, hanging out and, you know, chit chatting over, over card flips is a lot of fun. Uh, I've definitely, uh, I remember many a night when it would be, I'd be the odd man out at a, at a faux night and it's not even a problem. I'll just, you know, hang yeah. out and we'll talk about, you know, whatever's happening as we go through. And that's, 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 that's a good night of faux, right? Watch, watch faux is not a problem. Yep. Um, I think, uh, what, what brought me into this space is, you know, pretty models and cool artwork and, and stuff like that. And that's definitely, uh, a thing that keeps me around is, oh, what's what's the next what's the next new model? Oh, wait, they're bringing out a, a dinosaur on a 50. That looks amazing. I got to get into that faction. Right. I've got I've got a giant box full of uh, nightmare crews for factions that I'm probably never going to play because every time I see one, I have to have it. Yeah, guys, this was fun. Um, and, and I'm hoping for those that have listened that you've um if you've not found things that hopefully will help you a little bit, um, hopefully you've at least related to know that you're not alone. The one point I think I want to hammer home is something I talked about a little bit earlier, which is even the best players have gone through and fought the battles that we're talking about today. Um, so things that I struggle with that, that Brian, Nick and, and Jim have struggled with the people, the, the people that are playing well have struggled with it too, and they beat it. Um, so, you know, you, you've got to decide, you know, do I want, first of all, decide if I, I want to be a better player, um, you know, to a certain degree, I'm happy where I am. I like, I like the level of play that I have. Um, I, it doesn't mean I don't compete. It doesn't mean I don't try to get better, but I'm not going to quit my job to become the best foe player in the world. Um, and quite frankly, winning at foe is not why I play it. Um, but I do play competitive games because I try to try to get better at this. Um, so, so picking up on those things is key. Guys, this was not um, necessarily an easy thing to sign up for. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to have uh, Third Floor Wars reach out and say, Brian, I hear you're the best Masaki player in the world, and we'd like you to have it do a deep dive. And then uh, I woke little- up. Yeah, that's, that's real easy to say yes to. It's another thing for me to throw the line out there and go, how many people suck and want to talk about it? Um, so I appreciate it. Uh, but Brian, I know for a fact that you've got some plugs. So uh, talk to me about your podcast. Um, yeah, the podcast I co-host is called The Ascent of Board Games, and it's basically a, a monthly podcast because who has time for more than that? Obviously, some people do. But um, it's basically about we we pick a genre or a style of game and sort of talk about where it started, how it evolved over the time. It's mostly an excuse for us to talk about games we like. So, of course, we ramble a lot, but uh, I think we have a pretty good crew and we have a good time doing it. Um, I just released an episode today, which is uh, the first part of our episode on Heartbreakers, which is the games we really wanted to love and they really screwed us. So that one's a lot of fun. Um, and if I had to say one thing about this, um, this topic that, to summarize it all is one that's been coming to mind a lot to me lately for different reasons, which is 
before you're good at something, you have to be crappy at it for a long time. Very true. Very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah, if you guys don't, and I'm going to have a link to uh, to Brian's podcast. If you haven't listened to it, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a very interesting voice um, about board games, and it gives you a contextual understanding of board games. Um, but probably the biggest thing is, is that it's it's a bunch of dudes that love board games. And if you like board games, you're like, yeah, this is good. This is good. So it's, it's one of the ones that uh, every month when it comes out, it, it goes to the top of my queue. Uh, Nick, do you have any uh, shout outs or uh, plugs? I got a shout out to our Texas meta. Doug runs a, a hell of a meta. Um, we've got some great players here in the area. Uh, uh, Andre, Brian, Travis, and, and uh, uh, the Dreads just do a great job trying to foster a, a, a good environment for new players to come and play and to uh, uh, better the area uh, as a whole uh, to represent for uh, when we eventually get back to the faux tour, which I know um, uh, will be coming in the, in the distant or near future. Near, let's, let's hope for yeah, near. Near, hashtag let's near. Hope for near. Um, How about and, you, Jim? Oh, I got to say one more thing. Thank Please. you to all the content creators out there that keep my commute and my uh, uh, mundane data entry uh, tasks uh, interesting. So thank you all. Uh, Third Floor Wars, Schemes and Stones, Steam Power Scoundrels, uh, Swamp Fiends, and the other two or three that are out there that I, I occasionally listen to. So there's a lot of well, great we, We're starting to see new ones pop up. We're starting to see some new YouTube channels pop up. We're starting to see some new podcasts pop up devoted to Malifaux. That's a very good sign um, very good about sign. the health of the game. Um, unfortunately for Steam Forged, I think that the death of Guild Ball um, will prove to be helpful uh, to Malifaux as well. I know Bushido has gotten a nice little uh, so, so um, much pent up nerd rage. Talking about too soon, huh, Jim? Um, Let's let's campaign to bring Travis Wayforth back to Malifaux. Come on, Travis. Oh, dude, I've tried. (laughs) I've tried both him and Alex. It's it's uh, publish that comment and see what he says. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, I've I've had the conversation. Jim, how about you, my friend? Do you have any plugs or uh, shoutouts? I feel like I, I I should at least plug uh the three men in a war game guys. They're 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 good buddies of mine. They're good buddies of yours as well. So yep. Um, and, uh, Brush Liquor Studios, uh, our, our buddy Malloy, uh, I can plug him too. So, and obviously the, he has painted the vast majority of the terrain that you see on the third floor. Uh, <laughs> Mike's a good guy. Uh, and I guess obviously the, the, the henches around, uh, the, the NC metas is, are also a great bunch that, that keeps us all playing and having a good time. No, I was just going to throw one more in if I can, um, because Jim reminded me. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Haunted Miniatures because I've reached a point now where I don't have the time to. I mean, my models have never looked that great and I don't have the time to paint them even to my crappy tabletop standard. Um, Haunted Miniatures is gradually doing the entire faction for me wow. and uh, just does amazing work. And I, I couldn't be happier. So, oh, uh, that's great. We'll yeah. definitely link to them. So uh, shoot me the link so I can put it in the show notes. That's great. Um, so, guys, I do appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you taking the time and sitting with me. And uh, for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. 
please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, guys. We'll put, this will be short. This will be good, though. Yeah. yeah you know, Nick, Craig, sorry, you, yeah, I was going to say, Craig, you mentioned something that was great about uh, 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 kind of setting expectation because Doug Bowman, you know, he's the TO in our area. He'll flat out say, hey, you're going to get your butt kicked. Just know that. Yep. But try to learn. We're going to talk you through the process of why mm-hmm. you're going to see the worst of the worst so you can prepare next time. But don't take it as a as a, a, a negative play experience, take it as a learning lesson so you can get better next time. You're going to get your butt kicked a lot, but there'll be a moment when you have that, uh, I get it, and you'll, you'll start succeeding. And it, you set the precedence from the, from the get-go, and I think that's what's helped foster our, our community locally. Well, I've said it on the podcast. The worst thing about you guys in Texas is that you're all really, really good at what you do. You're all really good players and you're not jerks. Like you're nice people. Like it'd be much easier. <laughs> just to even hate you guys. <laughs> yeah. It'd be much easier just to go, you know what? Screw Texas. Cause they, they're a bunch of jerks, but it turns out you guys are, um, well, I'll clarify. You think you're good. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> we still got masters in order to decide that as a, as a California boy. How about I, how about I sum this up? Texans are narcissists, but they love what they do. That's great funny. people. That's there funny. is such thing as Southern hospitality. But they are narcissists for sure. Um, all right. So I think I'm going to go um, back. Um, Nick, Brian, Jim on this one. Um, so the idea is here is a little bit. Um, why do we love tabletop gaming so much? Um, why do we put so much time and energy into it? Because really all four of us in our own way do that, whether it be content creation, whether it be playing six vassal games, uh, you know, a month or, um, uh, you know, playing a hundred games in a hundred days with our wife. Um, you know, we, uh, <laughs> We, we all have our love for it. So I want to kind of talk about it, but I do want to talk about it maybe a little bit in the context of where we are right now um, as far as the pandemic. So I'll start with you probably, Nick, all right? Okay. Um, so probably go uh, Jim, Brian, Nick. Okay. He's got me on tilt, just talking about tilt. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Sweating over here. <laughs> I'm I'm just so excited that uh, you know all the things I'm hearing you guys say. I'm like, yeah, I do that too. Those are my things, well, not just me. It's, right. my, it's my prediction, guys, that this is going to be a really good episode for people to listen to because it's cathartic, right? Just to hear that, like you're not alone, right? There's <laughs> and let's be frank, there's more people like the four of us than there are like Cody Hyatt and for sure. Murray, yeah. right? That, so. that that guy just blows me away on his analytical thinking in this game 
and how oh, it's, that's why it's great just to listen to the commentary on the live yeah. stream it's just, just like huh that seems so obvious when he says it out loud using yeah. words yeah <laughs> yeah i would hate for him to commentate but my brain doesn't my brain doesn't game think that way. between between a couple of i guess you know uh, craig and jim have already had their game maybe nick and i should should get right. a game sure. and right. have them do commentary and, on and have cody do commentary uh, that may be the worst thing we've seen, but it's only turn two, so there's plenty of room to screw things <laughs> yeah. up. I, again, I haven't listened yet, but I I expect if, if at one point Cody didn't say, has Jim read these cards at all? I'll be disappointed. <laughs> you know, they, they, were, they were very, both him and Doug were very opinionated, but they were very kind at the same mm-hmm. time. Sure. Um, I mean, there was a, a couple times and he said it to both of us. He was like, Craig, Craig doesn't realize that that, yes. that model can do this. You know, uh, or Jim, Jim hasn't figured out yet what yeah. what's happening which is which is a kind way of saying craig's an idiot and so is jim um <laughs> but, but it's a reality right yeah you know, I, um, I watched it up to about like turn two and i remember at one point they were doing this whole thing you know uh, craig doesn't see it craig doesn't see it and then like an activation later it's like you just, just did one of these and it's like oh craig saw it but that speaks to how well doug and cody know the game yeah they are they are even talent for dhs yeah yep no i i completely agree all right uh, sorry. So Jim, Brian, Nick. All right, I'll bring us back. Hey, gentlemen, uh, can I take a one-minute break to go say goodnight to my kid? That seems fair. Uh, cool. Jesus, dude. I know. Priorities. I know priorities. Yeah, I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get a new beer. I'll be right back. Yeah. All right. So Jim, do we hijack the show now? There we go. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions. Yes. <laughs> and they're Damn mostly it, you're wrong. gonna hear them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hence we're on this show. <laughs> uh running through first turns in Vassal actually sounds like a, a real good idea. I should uh I should get that set up and at least do it at least give it a couple tries. Yeah, I find myself doing that a lot. You know, it's not perfect because you don't really necessarily have terrain there or anything <laughs> like that. But just sure. in an issue of okay. If these people need to be within six inches of each other for this and four inches for that, how can I move them in such a way that that should, in theory, happen? Yep. And and see, I, I you know, and I, I didn't have time to put them all on a, even a faux table, right, mm-hmm. uh, to, to think about it. Plus, they were all Craig's models, so right. I own – well, I own them, but they're in boxes somewhere. Right. Uh, but uh, so – I was like, oh, I know they all have to be within three of this marker. Mm-hmm. And then I read the card again. I'm like, oh, crap. They actually need to be within three of the gravedigger, not the marker. <laughs> now so everything is horrible. <laughs> everything is different. Because uh, I had I had the gravedigger on a flank. I was like, I'll just put him on the flank and then he'll just walk right out. And it'll be great. And I was like, oh, that, that won't work. That other half of the crew won't get the focused. And they're all going to want that focused. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I the one I've been running into lately is you know I'm I'm I like to have a lot of healing in my crew or you know at least some healing in the crew, which is easy in Ten Thunders. You can bring a Tanuki and sure. thing, um, but it's like all right, well I've got these guys can kind of heal themselves, and I've got a Tanuki that'll be fine, so I don't really need to worry about it as much. But that little dude cannot be everywhere at once, right? So I just gotta <laughs> you know take into account that I need either to deploy him better and be more cognizant of where I'm putting him. So he's not just running around putting out fires or I need to bring a second one. Yeah. I feel like I have like pieces of a plan. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Exactly. And it's like all of these little pieces, but I don't actually, I didn't put them together to make a whole plan. I just have pieces and parts of a plan. Yep. And when you hit the table and it's like, 
well, where does that piece fit now? I <laughs> I know what I could have done if everything else was right, but it's not exactly that now. So now what? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I spent, I don't know, 20 minutes going over with, with Ray before our game. I said, hey, Ray, uh, check my math. Uh, ley line markers on the diagonal are 12.75 inches about <laughs> apart mm-hmm. from one another. And he says, yeah. And I said, well, if Seamus places right on the line next to it, he's within an inch, right? He's well within an inch. And because the 12 inch place means he gets to move effectively, to the other one. Meaning he can move to the other one, right? And he says, yeah, that's true. And I said, so here's my question. If a model is in base contact with, let's say, the other side's marker, how far up the board do I have to be to push that model off the marker with, oh, say, Terrorize? <laughs> and he says, well, you have to be all the way. You have to push them. You know, you, you can't push them behind the marker. You have to push them off to the side, to the left or the right. I said, Ray, I don't think he quite gets there. I should put a mat down and find out <laughs> because could you imagine that's a whole thing if, if on this stream I I double jump Seamus all the way into his right at right at his deployment zone and push that model last activation off that marker to, to claim that point and then just pop him back to the middle to wait yeah which would have been really cool if all of his models weren't in the middle of the board waiting for me there. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and he says, all I don't right. think that's going to work. And it definitely that's... depends on the board state. Yeah. And what all happens right. if you flip the black joker? <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, I finished with you, right? Uh, yes. You're last. Okay. So, Nick, I'll probably start with you. Okay. <clears throat> we'll go, I'll go clockwise. I'll go Nick, Jim, Brian. Clockwise for me, at least. All right. Um... All right. So we ended with Jim. We started with Nick. So I'm going to start with you if that's all right, Brian. Works for me. All right, cool. Real quick, Jim, if you want to play some Malifaux online, Vassal, I'll make it really easy on you. You can get some practice. <laughs> you in. do, Nick. But no, like I said, it's 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 really it's not it's not as much about like playing Malifaux, I think, as it is about hanging out around the table and just chit-chatting with the guys. Yeah. So it's just I consider it Fidgety. better than nothing, but yeah, you're absolutely right. If yeah. I would me- rather mask up, glove up, hazmat suit up, and go to the game store and sweat my ass off than Vassal. Sure. But sure. one one key thing I like about Vassal is, well, actually, I hated about Vassal. I've gotten to try different factions, and now I own three freaking factions worth of model. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I uh, already own yeah. uh, <laughs> dipped into at least three factions. It'd be tough for Jim and I to be in worse positions as far as that's concerned. All right, guys, I'll bring uh, us back and I'll uh, start with you, Brian. <clears throat> Whether is it a play... Whether it is a player who has proven results for tactics and strategy... Wow, that's a terrible sentence. Ooh, this script. Uh, let's see here. What am I trying to say here? Whether I'm looking for a player who has proven themselves. Time. Well, that's cool. So our next case is, uh, so my next guest is Brian Schoner. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers. Well, I mean, if you're here, 
might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.